Welcome today to today's summer edition heard right across the Resonate network on 4VL, 4ZR, 4HI, 4LM, 4GC, 4LG, 4SB and Hot Country. Just gone 3pm this afternoon and it's all thanks to the good folk at the Australian Mung Bean Association. Get amongst it today as I'm joined in the studio <laughs> by the two big guns, Scotty Parkinson. Good afternoon. And how good are the Australian Mung Bean Association? Seriously, great to be here, Watsy. Great to be back on the summer edition. And Nick Backstrom. Great to be here, boys. Now, Nick, you're an unsung hero here locally in Longreach. <laughs> the carols the other night, what a great job oh. you did for the Longreach Council, Parker. Oh, 100%. I just think another string to your bow. Now, do you have a favourite carol, Nick? Um, I do like Hol- What's last oh, Holy Note. <laughs> oh, holy, oh, Holy Note is a favourite. Oh, I got to sing, and uh, it's a bit of a tough one, but it's a beautiful one. So. Oh, a little drummer boy. Oh, that's a, that's a cracker. Yeah, yeah can't yeah. sing it, don't know the words, but I think it's great when it comes on the radio. <laughs> now, we go through uh, 4LM in Mount Isa, and last week, the Country Cups Challenge. Congratulations to Damien Finner and Dan Ballard, mm. who combined with Deadly Choices to win the second uh, edition of the Country Cups Challenge. A little over $62,000 in prize money, boys, which is a massive step from the normal five. Yeah, we had Dan on 4LM uh, the week before, and he was quietly confident. It was interesting because we tried to draw him on where he thought his big threats were, but he said being just the nature of the race, a lot of horses he hadn't seen before, but he was very confident and, uh, yeah, paid off in spades. And it's uh, good to see that we're not giving these athletes the kiss of death. That's right. <laughs> so uh, maybe we do need to back Newcastle this year. Yeah, well, <laughs> you're going to hear Luke, you might give a pretty confident <laughs> prediction for them. Nick, we'll start with today's... Uh Summer edition with Kim Jenner from the Firebirds. Well, Look, the yeah. Firebirds were pretty ordinary last year. It's got to be said they went from the uh, the penthouse to the you know where in the space of twelve months. <laughs> only one win from fourteen outings. Oh, look, that happens to sporting teams. Um, people are already talking about will that happen to the Lions this year? But uh, they're a good club and they're a great club in terms of um, looking after their fans. Yes. I know, you know, I know so many young women who just love the Firebirds. And we talked to Kim Jenner, and yeah, they're not. Yeah, they're on to it. <laughs> they yeah. know they had a bad year. They just spent the time talking about what they did wrong, learning from it, which is what all you can do. And we get our ratings, and they're really high. I guess we'll reflect and try to get them back next year. <laughs> <laughs> 2 nil series, a victory over Pakistan, Scott, and the Aussies move on to much stiffer competition with the Kiwis. And we talked to the great Luke McDonald from the Gold Coast Cricketing Expert about our, our position in, in world cricket at the moment and look at the uh, W uh, Big Bash, the Women's Big Bash, as well as uh, the British and heat we put the spotlight on them yeah 100 percent. i think that cricket's really interesting because everything's so positive about australia and everyone's saying australia's so batting so well but it was just interesting to hear his thoughts on joe burns probably the only batsman that kind of missed out um in that that first test series against pakistan new zealand will be much better and i'm actually really excited about oh, i think it should mm. be in a five test series against new zealand yeah i i tend to agree and, and the summer of cricket's so higgledy piggledy now people don't know where they are it used to kick off with your shield matches into the Gabba test, yep. into a tri-series. And, and that was that was the summer. But, you know, with commitments to Big Bash, obviously that's where the, the capital is. Um, you know, it's, it's changed and jigged around to suit those sort of things. And it's really interesting, what's he is Steve Smith signing with a Big Bash side? And, and how much will he play? Because, I mean, if Australia don't perform well in the test, I can't see him getting out and playing in a Big Bash game. I think it's really hard if you're in a test setup. And then playing Big Bash, I think they need to play after the Test Series is over. It's, it's interesting though, sorry, just thinking about it, with uh, all the other codes of sport, I should say other sports, they're very fussy about the top players playing in particular forms of the game or particular competitions, whereas cricket just seems to be 
go nuts. Well, yeah. it used to be the one side. I think you still remember the days when it's, if you're in the test side, you're in the one day side. Yep. And there was no 2020. And that's it just how, started. Mm. It, it started to, you're exactly right. And then there was a, a slight change with Boone and Marsh. I think they dropped Marsh and brought Mark War in at the top. Boone went to three. And then all of a sudden, you just yep. started seeing mm. things trialling, like Adam Gilchrist opening with mm. Mark War and. And, and those players dropping out. And there was always, there was a slight, it was just evolving slowly, yeah, yeah. whereas now it's three definite squads. And we don't often see test batsmen going into 2020, but I mean, Dave Warner's a product of the, t- the T20 system. Mm. He was a star of that competition, and now he's, he's got to be, say, one of Australia's better batsmen. Looking for a stocking filler. Don't die wondering. The Pat Webster story is out now in all good bookstores. And we chatted to him um, Got a great story, a great mm. career that's um, gone from a drover's son to a jockey to a trainer. He also deals with uh, drug and alcohol mentoring. Uh, his son, he's, he was a heroin addict, so he has experience with that for young jockeys. Yeah, that could, it's always a danger with sporting biographies going, I don't know if I'm all that interested in this particular sport. And <laughs> and it can get a bit dull. But that's, uh, as, I, as you said, starting as a drover, you know, son of a drover, uh, getting to horse racing himself, and then his uh, work with... Young jockeys and young uh, other sportsmen with the drug and alcohol dependency. It, yeah, it, it's a fascinating story. Our Outback Profile. Today we're going to bull rider Lane Howlett for a chat. And what a chat it was. I mean, Lane, just fascinating. Um, you know, I don't know much about bull riding. He does extreme bulls. And I put it to him, what's the difference between a normal bull and extreme bull? It's all about the attitude. <laughs> it certainly is. <laughs> I'll tell you what, there's some extreme bulls spoken about on this radio show. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the attitude here on the Summer Edition, thanks to the Australian Mung Bean Association. It's the Summer Edition heard across the Resonate network on 4VL, 4GC, Hot Country, 4SB, and Nick Backstrom. Uh, look, the Queensland Firebirds in 2019 had a less than memorable season, just winning the one-of-one one game. Um, but we're, we're going to talk to one of their, their stars from the season. Oh, yeah. Um, it, the Firebirds have really electrified, I think, uh, netball. I know my nieces just love watching them. And uh, netball, I think, has been at the forefront of bringing women's sport to a wider audience. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Kim Jenner joins us. Uh, how are you this afternoon, Kim? Hey, guys. I'm doing well, thanks. Now, uh, 2019, it wasn't a great season for the Firebirds. Um, what can you take from that year looking forward? Yeah, no, um, it definitely wasn't what we were hoping for um, going into it at the start of the year. Um, but it did allow us to um, learn things and really um, bond as a group. And we've come out of the other end um, taking um, a lot of lessons from that year and we're really excited to go into next year building from um, what we could in um, 2019. Now, Kim, you're smack bang in the, in the middle of off-season. Um, tell us a bit about what, what uh, the off-season uh, is, for, is for you. Yeah, so we actually started um, pre-season this week, um, but um, I've been doing um, a lot of uni work, so I'm starting to be a teacher, um, and I had the opportunity to go out and do some prac um, in the off-season, which is really cool, um, so I went and worked in a school, um, and I've also had a bit of opportunity to travel as well, so that's been good just to get out of the netball bubble for a little mm. bit, refresh, um, and get ready to go for the next season. Yeah, because you've been doing uh, netball for a long time. Looking at your career, you've been uh, in re- representative teams uh, since you were seven, under 17 and through to playing for Australia in the, uh, the Fast Five competition. So it's been, uh, yeah, netball's been a huge part of your life. How did it all start for you? Yeah, definitely. Um, it is a, a massive part of my life. Um, I started when I was eight years old um, up in Townsville. 
Um, my older sister played it. Um, a few of my friends played it as well. So I um, was really keen to get involved and just give it a go um, as just some fun sport to do, like after mm, school. Yeah. yeah. And do when you're playing, is there do the, do you get an impression from selectors or anything that they're eyeing you for representative honours, or we just keep playing because you're loving it and trying to get better at it? Yeah, I just kept playing because I loved it, um, and I still love it. So um, as I started to get in a few more teams, I was like, this is so awesome. Like, we got to travel with the group. We got to meet some really cool people. So um, I just kept trying to push the boundaries, um, and at the end of the day, I just love playing the sport. So. You, you represented Australia in the Fast Fives uh, earlier this year. Tell us a bit about what the Fast Fives is. Yeah, so um, it's a cool little... Um, sort of kind of like netball you've got five players in each team um it's a different rotating center and you can score from um three points so there's a three point score a yep. two point score and right. a one point score so that was um a <laughs> the 2020 cool, of netball <laughs> yeah exactly it's a lot faster it's um, a lot more endurance needed for it um, but it was heaps of fun yeah <laughs> and you've got to be fit for netball too because uh our Saturday morning sports show hit the road and we went down to our local netball <laughs> and we put through our paces. I'll tell you what, I slept well. I was sore oh, yeah. the next day. Um, fitness is a big thing, obviously. Yeah, definitely. It's a lot of running involved. Um, we do a lot of running um, on the side of our training, so it's definitely handy to have a bit of endurance up your sleeve. <laughs> and uh, I see you're a goal defence and goalkeeper now. Nick opposite me, um, <laughs> he was defending me in um, in our uh, little netball and I'll tell you what, he would have been fouled out. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> if that had been a real game, I think I might have been banned for life. <laughs> yeah, we've had a few games where we've um, pretty much sat next to our play most of the game. <laughs> <laughs> now, 2017, you made your debut for the Firebirds and when we're going into the 2020 season, women's sport... It, it's gaining a bigger profile every year, and it's really good to see. And and growing up, have you seen the transformation? Yeah, definitely. It's so exciting um, with the start of Suncorp Super Netball and with netball getting more professional. Um, there are so many more opportunities for young girls coming through. There are so many um, more pathways as well for not even Brisbane girls, but for regional girls to um, really make it to the big times as well. So it's a really exciting time. Um, 2020, obviously, uh, a big year for the Firebirds, hopefully. Um, do you have any personal goals for the year? Um, I think just um, making sure that I do take those lessons from last year mm. and working on um, making sure I'm learning the game a bit um, better and just working on my fitness as well so that 2019, uh, 2020 can be um, a really good, solid season. Now, this is the summer edition, and we are heard across regional <laughs> Queensland, and Aussies, we love to have a Barbie in summer. Now, we ask our yeah. guests the three top things they love to throw on a Barbie. Oh, all right. I would say pineapple, which might be a bit controversial. Ooh, that's, that's a first. That's a first. <laughs> oh, <laughs> a little bit of hot pineapple. Um, I'm a fan of a sausage and a lamb cutlet as well. Oh, yeah, very nice. we're finding lamb is, is, is the top mm. of the tree, isn't it? But you've hit a first with pineapple. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> hey, Kim Jenner, thanks very much for your time uh, and contribution to the summer edition Heard Across Resonate Network and all the best for the 2020 season with the Queensland Firebirds. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, it's the summer edition heard across the Resonate Network on 4VL, 4ZR, 4HI, 4LM, 4GC, 4LG, 4SB, and hot country. And it is hot. It's warming up and uh, <laughs> well and truly over 40 degrees out here in the west today. And hot weather means one thing, uh, Parker. That's cricket. Yeah, lots of cricket, mate. It's pretty hot. And luckily we're in a confined studio, so you can definitely <laughs> scent, smell the scent of the... Uh, 
the hottest in the air. And we're joined by a real expert on a lot of sports, Watsy. And we're going to talk to him about cricket today, Luke McDonald from the Gold Coast. How are you, mate? G'day, how are we? Yeah, very well, Lukey. Uh, first of all, 2-0 over the Packies. I think we could all see that coming. Uh, I thought the dollar forty was well and truly overs. Uh, but it, it did do one thing, I think, for the Australian top order, and that was bat them into a bit of form. Yeah, well, it's funny. I mean, you sort of go back, what, 12 months ago, and and the, the top order was, I mean, it was just looking so shaky. You know, we had Smith there, and, and that was kind of it. Um, and then Warner struggled through through the Ashes series, big time, brought out his number there. And, yeah, you kind of, yeah, you, you were wondering where it was going to come from. But then sort of Manus Labushkagni, or Manus Labashane, as they like to call him, um, has just come out of nowhere, really, like, and sort of done a bit of a Steve Smith. I mean, he was picked as a, as a, well, probably more of an all-rounder. I mean, most people probably forget that Steve Smith was first picked at, Nine as a as leg a spinner. leg spinner who yeah. could bat a bit, you know, is now the best batsman in the world. And I mean, is he, is he the best since the dawn, or is he better? I don't know, but um, he's going pretty good. And then sort of Labuschagne's kind of done the same thing. He was probably more of a genuine all rounder and probably a little bit more batting, but he's just come on. That that effort in in the Ashes from from him was was enormous. Um, and I can't remember who we got. Someone got. Uh, injured or something for the first test was it or the second yeah. test and oh no he, he came in for Smith didn't yeah, he yeah that's right yeah and um, and then <laughs> he just yeah he's just going nuts so um, and then yeah you know sort of he's done the business along with Warner not many of the others really got much of a go in the Pakistan series but um, yeah the batting has been has been an issue for quite some time the bowling stocks have been quite good and um, they're, they're sort of as full as they 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 can be at the moment. Um, and yeah, uh, Paddy's had a fair few um, uh, debutants and things. A uh, couple of a couple of lively customers that the young. Well, they're saying he's eighteen, but I read an article about four years ago where he was eighteen. <laughs> so I don't know what's going on there. But like, they're, they're uh, all they're all good until a bookmaker gets hold of them. <laughs> Boys, do you think, is there any pressure on Joe Burns? Look, I know he got a, a pretty good 90 in that first test, but then he got out pretty cheaply in the second um, and claimed it wasn't a batsman pitch. <laughs> and then I think everyone else scored 100 after him. But, you know, like, I mean, cementing that top order has been such a big deal for Australia. Is there any pressure at all on Joe Burns to score big in these next three tests? Because I think if he doesn't, I think he's going to be out the back door and they'll try someone else. Mm. Well, I think you're raising your bat for a 97. You should automatically be dropped for life. We got the extra four uh, in the second test. Yeah, well, was walking off, and you know, he thought, "Oh, yeah, I'm, the Gabba crowd's pretty happy with that." Well, you know, that's loser mentality. Like, if he wants to play like that, he should be playing for the Ponds. But um, <laughs> I'd say um, there is big pressure. Like, what's happened to Renshaw? Like, I think the last yeah. test that he played or something, he scored 160-odd or something in Australia. Yeah, and that's how the uh, selectors have been working. Score centric, yeah. you're out. Strange <laughs> stuff, strange stuff. But, yeah, there is big pressure on him, I think. Uh, I know, you know, obviously Bancroft there. I don't know what the dynamics are there with um, with the fixing and obviously he'll be batting with Warner and I don't know how, you know, what's sort of going on there. But he's obviously in the wings. And then, yeah, Renshaw as well. I'm not sure what's happened to him. Um but, yeah, look, I've never been a big Burns supporter. I say, you know, I'm probably a little bit a little bit biased. I think he's like sort of one of those guys that just looks the part. He looks beautiful to watch, you know. Like, if you put him against Steve Smith, you'd just be like, poor, Steve Smith looks awful. But he just doesn't 
get the job done enough for me, Burns. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think he's under big pressure, but, um, yeah, who knows with the selectors. And, look, they're all going to be on the ropes relatively. They're coming off a pretty easy series when it's got to be set against Pakistan, but the Kiwis aren't going to be a pushover. Admittedly, they do play better in those swinging English-type conditions, but I, I think they've got a solid all-round side. Absolutely, and I think they get the day-night conditions as well, don't they, in Adelaide? So, you know, that, that will help with the pink ball. Uh, they've got some injury concerns, the Kiwis, which will be damaging if, if mm. Bolt and probably De home as well. Uh, I saw that they trained today, um, so you know, ho- hopefully they'll make it because you want the best players playing. And I think it can be a really good series. I think Aussies are pretty short at the 145 or 140 or something. Um, looks a bit lively to me. Uh, they're a really good side, the Kiwis, and if they're full strength, um, they, they certainly can press. Um, yeah, so I think it could be a really interesting series. Now, look, you've been known to have five each way on a ten at an angle on a Friday <laughs> night. <laughs> um, give, give us a, give us an exact score for the three test series. Oh, look, mate, I actually fancy the, there's a bit of eleven bucks around for one one, um, yep. which I don't think's too too bad shopping. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if 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 the Aussies, you know, sort of. Win the Adelaide Test and then end up going bang, you know, in the other in the others as well. But I think sort of the shopping around and you know decent price would be sort of a one-one. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the Kiwis snuck one and you know and who and who sort of knows what happens from there. One of the great final series of all time was the 2018 Women's Big Bash, and uh, the finals come up this weekend, Lukey. They do, mate. Yeah, and I'm actually heading out there to Allen Border Field to have a look. Of course um, you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I've got to be honest with you. It's it's some of the better cricket that I get to enjoy watching these yeah. days. I think I think the thing is is it it's it's super close uh, for mm. one, but but it's also relatable. Like I watch them drop catches that I go, yeah, I play with folks that do that. Too soon next day. The other day, I saw I saw um, uh, Naomi Stalenberg from the Thunder. She was chasing a ball down at um, deep long on, and she just didn't know where the rope was. She's just running across the rope and, like, chasing it. And then, like, by the time she got to the ball, she's like, oh, I'm like a metre and a half out here. So, um, <laughs> you know, I was, I was like, yep, I, I play with place to do that. So, yeah, no, look, it's, it's really come on a lot. I mean, this year, what I've really noticed this year is the amount of chases. So, like, it used to get to a point where, it, like, all, every side always had sort of one, two, three you know, that, that were decent. A yep. few had four and five. But what's really come on this this year is is the lower and middle middle order hitting. So they've had a lot of times where the run rate sort of got to 10 and even 12, and they've been chasing that down. In past years, it was just like game over. You know, they just the girls just didn't have the strength to get there. But extra pre-seasons, you know, a lot of these girls are now full-time in it. Um, and, uh, yeah, they're... they're it, the games are great. I mean, and last, like you said, the semis last year and the final were just three of the most out of this world games of cricket. Like they were just insane, you know. Um, so yeah, so I'm heading out there. Uh, what have we got? Strikers and uh, who have they got in the semi? The, the the Scorchers. Scorchers. It's pretty much Meg Lanning or Bus because they've lost a lot of their English players who are going over to play in the Pakistan uh, in, in an international against the pa- Pakistan side. For me, the Strikers. Uh, the, the the pick of the um, of the of the four, and I think they'll win that semi pretty comfortably. Um, they've got Sophie Devine up up top, who's a 
person to watch out for. She's kind of like that, you know, that guy you played with in under 15s. He opens the bowling and opens the batting. Um, that's, that's <laughs> like Parco. <laughs> yeah, Parco. Yeah. He couldn't do either, though. <laughs> <laughs> and, mate, looking ahead to the, the men's big bash, obviously uh, the heat with uh, the big signing of A.B. De Villiers, who will chime in in the second part of the season. Steve Smith's going to have a run as well. Uh, who are the couple of the standouts uh, for you at this early stage? Yeah, well, it's pretty exciting, like the heat side specifically. Um, not, not. I mean, everybody knows about De Villiers, but they've also got this Tom Bampton, who he goes good. I'll tell you right now. Like, I think he's going to open um, with with um, Bright. Basically, that top four for the heat. It always is, but even more so this year. It's just dynamite. Hey, like I really think, you know, we're looking looking at some potentially, you know, huge huge scores and huge first sixes. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, that side's looking um, very, very tasty. They've also got um, Ben Lachlan as well. Um, mm-hmm. Like It's been an issue with the Heat where, you know, they score 200, but they can't defend it at the Gabba. So they've got a, a little bit more bowling. I think is it Zahir Khan, um, uh, Leggy from, I think, Afghanistan as well. So they've got some better bowling options this year. I think they look pretty tasty at the for sort of $5.56. Bucks. I know they are favourites, but... I think they're going to make the semis, and then when you sort of work it out, if you multi it up, I think they're 1.2 to make the semis, and then, you know, they're not going to be evens in both the semi and the final. Um, so, yeah, I think they look pretty good. Also, just on them, you know, for them to score the, I think the highest first six over score in the in the whole um, uh, series is something like four bucks, and I think that looks pretty good too. But Did you study uh, all this on the way home from <laughs> South Africa? Yeah, I do. Oh, mate, you should have seen. I was on my honeymoon, and um, I'd been given the given the, the, the very stern word not to do any work while I was away, but I just waited till she went to sleep and then I just jumped up and went back to the lounge room. <laughs> That's how you keep the romance alive, I believe. <laughs> well, that, they talk about the big six on safari. You're doing the big six in the big bash. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Lukey, well, I can't let you go. Just very quickly, you're a big Newcastle Knights fan and last year... Um, they let's just be honest. They dumped a steaming pile of you know what um, in <laughs> most did. grounds they played, particularly in the second half of the season. First half they were great, mate. Um, well. Are we what expecting happened? better things in twenty twenty? Kurt Mann's oh, confident. Mate, don't do this to me again, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 Go on, I, mate. I, Knock him in. <laughs> I, I, honestly, like put your house on. I, it. I, 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 for the last like six seasons, I've said if they don't make it, I'm going to burn my jersey. But like this year, <laughs> that is it. Like I'm fortunate. Like I can't. I can't go through this again. Like, yeah, nah, look, yeah, lock them in, lock them in. Oh, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> it's done. We got it down. That's what I wanted you to do. Luke, Luke, Luke McDonald, thanks very much for your time and contribution to the summer edition. Heard right across regional Queensland on the Resonate Network. Straighten up now in the Villiers and moral victory odds leads from Rhythm Despair in second. Red Excitement's running on. It's somewhat down the outside with Ninth Legion. Back towards the inside. Happy Clappers picking up together with God's in him. Moral victory in front. Looks a sitting dock on the inside. Happy Clapper. The outside. It's somewhat. And Tinto, the mayor from Toowoomba's revving up. But Happy Clapper bursts to the front. And Happy Clapper. Brenton Abdullah takes out the Villiers from Happy Clapper there winning the Villiers some years. Years ago for trainer Pat Webster. You're on the summer edition heard across the Resonate Network on 4VL, 4ZR, 4HI, 4LM, 4GC, 4LG, 4SB and of course Hot Country Nick. Yep, we uh, 
wide coverage of uh, Queensland because we know we've got a lot of sports punters out there and they all, a lot of them love the GGs. <laughs> and a book that was released by Pat Webster, the trainer of Happy Clapper, Don't Die Wondering, uh, released a couple of weeks ago, joins us on the line. Pat, how are you this afternoon? I'm good, thank you. And uh, first of all, let's talk about Happy Clapper. What a great horse, but often ran into the, the champion Mayor Winks as well. Yeah, well, that seemed to be... You know, there wasn't much we could do about it. And a lot of the times we uh, we were going to think about Dodge, you know, but it didn't sort of fit in with his prep. So yep. a couple of lead-up races to twice he ran second. In, he ran second in Doncaster and second in another Doncaster, and he won one. But we had to run into Winks leading up to, to the Doncaster, so to speak. So uh, we couldn't dodge her anyway. So anyway, we weren't going to die wondering. We took her on. <laughs> Second in a Doncaster still reads all right in the resume, though. Oh, it was great, but I just thought uh, I just thought it was never going to happen. And then the day it happened, it was amazing. Yeah. Hey, uh, Pat, obviously you've been uh, in the racing game basically all your life, and uh, you've got a lot of great stories to tell. And uh, Don't Die Wondering uh, is the book you've just released. Tell us a bit about the Pat Webster story. Well, this guy called Alan Whitaker, he rang me. I was coming home from doing some mentoring drugs and alcohol to apprentices from Wagga, and he said, oh, I spoke to the editor, and they want to do a book on someone in racing. And um, uh, instead of a, a league player or footballer this year, they said, he said, what, what do you think? I said, well... Oh, so why me? So well, you know the happy clapper thing, and it fits in with your what you've done in your childhood. So that's how it come about. And then I said, well, long as all, you know, all my proceeds, anything I get will go to the uh, drugs and alcohol side of the Sallies. So that was the main thing to do it. And plus, in the book, uh, it's documented what happened with my one of my siblings, my eldest boy, who had a heroin addiction. And what my wife and myself went through, and all and his, and his sisters and brothers, and what we had to go through over 20 years with him, and now he's going absolutely fantastic. So all that plus, you know, um, a drover's son, which it says from when I started left school at night and went driving with my dad. So pl- plenty going on there, and obviously uh, in between that, you were a jockey as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, once uh, my mum passed way uh, when I was about oh, probably 13, 14 at a place called Dubbo and then uh, my dad sort of done it a bit tough and might have went on, might have he did, he went on a bit of a binge and I was sort of <laughs> just left to uh, fend for myself for a while there and uh, so I went in the stables and uh, become an apprentice jockey and uh, went good in the country and come to the Sydney, I was going great here and uh, had a bad fall which put me out of action so then I become a wharfie <laughs> Mate, you certainly have run the gamut. Uh, you obviously you've worked with horses your entire life, from uh, you know from infancy forward. Do you find I don't know much about horses, being a city kid myself. Do you find the uh, horses have you know personalities? Like when you're training them, do you find the horses, as you find in other sports, got all the talent, just don't want to do the work, things like that? Mick, it's the same thing with people, mate. Yep. But the good ones, the good ones have got character, and the bad ones have got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying about Happy Clapper? <laughs> <laughs> and the ones that want to go out and work and have a go, they're beauties. But the ones yep. that don't, well, like I'm saying, it's the same with uh, I think uh, if humans or animals. Like you got your good and your bad, and uh, some want to do it and some don't. For instance, like Happy Clapper, he's just a machine. He's uh, 17 hands high and it doesn't matter he bleeds he's a bleeder and yep. 
different things, but the day you go to take it to the race and you put that saddle on, and he's running against the elite group ones, and you just know what you're going to get. It's just amazing. He know you know he's going to go out and give his absolute all. So, but you get other horses that are the same, and then you get other horses that you know that they got it and they don't want to do it. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, Pat. Let's talk about your work with uh, with apprentice jockeys and your mentoring with the drug and and alcohol program. It's it's quite a big issue. Um, with all young sportsmen, let's be honest, but um, I see it out here in the West uh, as well, and it um, doesn't matter where you are. It is an issue. Um, do, do you find many problems still coming through with, with the kids and drug and alcohol? No, we don't. Well, I sh- should say you don't or never away because it'll come around and bite you on the bum. But, yep. look, through Racing New South Wales and Peter Volandis and what we put into place, we we sort of try and head it off from the past, and we do do drive the kids mad. They see me, and they sort of recognise what I do because I'm always in their face. And yep. I find that's one of the good things. Plus, we have drugs and alcohol uh, meetings, uh, like, all around the whole of the state. I do that once a year, and um, that's compulsory for them to turn up. And if they don't, they'll have to travel a lot further to the next one, which they... They try and dodge and weave a bit, but no, I think we've been blessed, um, and we're very, very lucky that uh, you know the that what what we preach they they they're taking notice of. So we're lucky that way. But look, there is some that fall through the cracks, and uh, well, one recent one recently was a guy called Aaron Bullock. Yep, and uh, he'd run a, he rode over a hundred a hundred winners, and then. He got in a little bit of bother, and uh, look, he'd done his time. He'd come up the farm. We had a couple of sessions with him, and my wife and myself, and uh, he's back now riding, and look, he, I spoke to him last uh, Sunday at Newcastle. He, he's riding every day this week. That's and, good, isn't uh, it? He, he, once, you know, some, some of them, once they're caught and they get into trouble, they come back. They're, they're a better person, they're a better citizen, and they're a better rider, so it makes them that bit hungrier. But you just hope that there's nothing too serious, like um, like if they got on ice or something. Oh, I yeah. don't know what had happened then. <laughs> Touch wood and please God, you know that won't happen. And before I let you go, Pat, um, for an outsider looking in, racing in, in New South Wales looks to be going from strength to strength, not only with the big races, but also pioneering things like um, the Country uh, Cups Challenge, Provincial Challenge, which, you know, uh, Queensland, we've got on the coattails a bit lately. Um, great prize money, uh, paying down to 10th. Uh, things look like they're going great guns uh, in New South Wales. Oh, it's just amazing, isn't it? It's just, uh, you know, I'm 69. In February, I wish I was only going on 39. I still <laughs> had the same zest and get up and go that I had. I still have got a reasonable sort of uh, uh, energy to put towards it, but it's just amazing. And uh, look, you know, for these country trainers, a lot of them come and stop with me when they come down and with this Kosciuszko and the championships, it, it gives them what it does. It gives them a really, really good reason to get out of bed. Yes, and and they're the salt. Don't you worry. They're the salt of the earth, our blokes, and that's where it all starts from. These country blokes, the young trainers start, and then they graduate to the provincials, and they graduate to be into into the town, and that's where it all starts. And they're getting a real good reason to get out of bed with these prize money. And when I do these uh, little tours that I do, that's all they talk about. I yep. go to the track work in the morning, and that's all they talk about is the Tossie Oscar and the country championships. So I come home and say to my wife, well, wow, you know, these blokes are keen as mustard to keep doing what they're doing. 
Pat uh, Webster, thanks very much for your time and uh, good luck with your book, Don't Die Wondering, which is available in all good bookstores and be a great stocking filler this Christmas. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys, for uh, taking your time out to listen to me. It's the summer edition heard right across regional Queensland. It's the summer edition heard across the Resonate Network, 4BL, 4ZR, 4HI, 4LM, 4GC, 4LG, Hot Country and 4SB. And it's that time of the weekend where we like to focus our attention onto some great eight outback athletes. And this week's profile, we head to champion Roma bull rider Lane Howell and he joins us online. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, thanks. Yourself? Yeah, we're all doing pretty good. Now, uh, Lane, this is Nick. Uh, now, you've been playing, you've been riding bulls for a long time, taking after your dad, Buddy. Oh, it, I mean, it's clearly too late for the boys in the studio, but if one wanted to take up a bull riding, how do you start? That's what amazes me. Uh, first of all, you need a rope and a glove. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, with the foot, what do they start you on? Do you start on horses? Do you start on small bulls? What, what's, the, what's the training? Oh, sort of, depending on how old you are, a young fellow, you start on carbs and work your way up into bulls as you get older. If you're a bit older, you just start off on quieter ones that don't do very much. Right. So sort of just hop around and in a straight line or, yeah, they're not bank or anything. So, Lane, <laughs> you're in your 20s now, mate. Take us back to the start of the Lane Howlett story, um, where it all began and um, your path to now. Oh, uh, started <laughs> when I was about, I don't know, five, I guess. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was flat out riding a tricycle. I was, I was still wet my pants. <laughs> And then, obviously, you followed your dad around? Yeah, I did. Um, he was a big inspiration for me. Um, he taught me everything I know. Hey, Lane, it's Parko here. Mate, I know reading your profile, you said you prefer bulls over horses. What makes bulls um, your preferred ride? I'm too scared to fall off them. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon I'd be more scared of, of a bull than a horse. I think, um, I think I'd think i probably freak out at both. Uh, to be honest, now, now Nick just mentioned that we're probably too old in the studio to get involved. Now, Nick uh, did ride the mechanical bull um, at the um, the Long Reach Fate. Mate, he uh, rode point eight, yeah, point point zero eight, I believe it was. I uh, misread the time. Yeah, same as his his breath at the time. Uh, but mate, what's a what's a tip? Like, what what are you trying to do um, to get a longer time on the back of a bull? Uh, stay square and follow his moves. Don't try and outthink him because he's a bit smarter. I've seen the great Ray Herman out here and Winton with his mechanical bull and um, training young cowboys. Do you still do any of the mechanical stuff like in your off time? Yeah, I, I'll get on the buck and drum every chance I get or yep. I'll get on practice bulls every chance I get. Lane, you talked about your father. You're a second-generation bull rider and, and Buddy was one of the great greater, the riders going around. Does he give you pretty strong feedback? Like, is he the bit of the expert and tells you where you need to improve? Yeah, definitely. He'll tell me if I mess up or where I went wrong. And then he also tells me when I'm doing good and what I've done right. And, uh, yeah. And that's what you need, mate. Um, now, I've hurt myself just walking out of the studio, but I could imagine that, that bull riding is a bit tougher. Mate, you had any bad injuries along the journey? Uh, yeah, I broke my shoulder blade, broke ribs on both sides, broke my arm, um, cracked my jaw. Jeez. <laughs> well, yeah, you've covered it all. Yeah. <laughs> Lane, we speak to a, we spoke to a couple of bull riders over time, and uh, a lot of them experience uh, going over to America. Have you had that opportunity? No, I haven't. Not yet. I'm looking at going over in January, sort of end of January, start of February next year after the Extreme Bull Finals in Tamworth. Is is America regarded as the strongest place to go uh, to craft your trade? Yeah, definitely. Um, there's a lot more rodeos over there. There's a lot more bull riders. Just a 
little bit tougher competition. And, mate, tell us about these extreme bulls. What's the difference between an extreme bull and just an everyday bull? They ride bikes without helmets. <laughs> Parker, you're known as a bit of an extreme bull around here. That's <laughs> yeah, my nickname. Uh, extreme bulls is an event run sort of all over Australia with the best bulls, or some of the best bulls in Australia going there. Uh, it's a bit different every other event. They have a bit more money up. Yeah. Yep. Hard to explain, really. Yeah. Do you get, are there regular bulls on the circuit? Do you get to know these bulls that you're dealing with? Yeah, definitely. Um, certain contractors that do certain areas. Um, I currently stay with contractors at the moment and help them feed their animals. So, you know, you get to know the bulls and you travel around, you get to know the contractors and what their bulls are like, everything like that. Yeah, our resident um, uh, radio correspondent, Damien Delinsky, um, said the champion stock. Where, what, who has the best stock at the moment? Oh, there's a lot of good stock getting around. Uh, the McPhee's the McPhee's still strong? Yeah, I haven't done many of their rodeos. Uh, mm-hmm. They're sort of more down south. Um, yep. Yeah, Gill Brothers sort of have best stock in rodeo at the moment with their bulls and horses, um, from what I've seen. 100%. I agree with you. Mate, um, just uh, in the future lane, you obviously you set goals. What's a goal you've got set for 2020? 2020. Uh, go to America and try and get into the PRCA, awesome. the Pro Rodeo Circuit mm-hmm. over there. And uh, what have you cut coming up in the in the coming weeks? Obviously, the Queensland season's just coming to an end, and as you said off air, uh, the next season starts shortly. But uh, you're on the road this weekend to Sydney. Yeah, head down to Sydney, Twin Creek Golf Course. There's an extreme bulls down there. Very good, mate. Uh, Lane Howlett, thanks very much for your time and an insight into uh, your career as a bull rider, and we wish you all the best. Thank you. It's the Summer Edition Heard Across the Resonate Network. Back with the Summer Edition Across the Resonate Network and time for our weekly awards, Scott Parkinson. (laughs) Still waiting for theme music. It's yet to arrive, but the tuxedo is back. Stairway to Heaven? (laughs) Yeah, no, we're going to skip the theme music, skip Stairway to Heaven. Tell you what, it's hard coming up with these names. And Watsy, you were an absolute <laughs> gem with this. Um, you really helped us out last night thinking some of these these award names. The first one is the Winning Ton. Winton, obviously a great place. Kurt Mann's hometown. <laughs> the Winning Ton, a great cricket score. One of the greatest. Who would it be, Watsy? Well, I'm going to go back to the Ashes this year and keep it recent while it's in everyone's memory. And I, It's got to be Steve Smith. It's got to be Steve Smith's Ashes. He was sensational. He answered all the critics. He did what he had to do to bounce back from the Sandpaper saga. Um, Dave Warner's obviously done it subsequent to that, but Steve Smith really won the, the hearts of the Australians back with, with his winning tons in the, in the Ashes. It's funny you mentioned Dave Warner. I don't think what he's done is even starting to get compared to what Steve Smith did. Like no. you talk about the hearts and minds. Steve Smith's got him back. Dave Warner's still got work to do. It's just the personalities they have. Yeah, it's, his personality is very unlovable. Um, I've gone uh, back in history of the Ashes. Uh, in lieu, lieu of uh, Bob Willis's death earlier this, uh, earlier this week, uh, the Miracle Test in 1981 at uh, no Headingley, Headingley in 1981, uh, Australia had declared on 400. England were bundled out for 174 and forced to follow on. Botham put in a fantastic batting effort, and he was out of sorts. He stepped back from the captaincy because he was out of form, and uh, between him and a few handy. Uh, Handy, uh, you know, lower order batsman. Yep. He got up. They set a target of 130 for Australia. So without that, they would have been absolutely doomed. And then that's when Bob Willis chimed in with eight for 48. Wow. Yeah, and uh, not only won the test, but then t- this next test, which was at Edgebaston, 
uh, both them took charge there with bat and ball, and Austra- uh, England won that Ashes series. There was a great Australian uh, fast bowl that played over in in the Scottish uh, second <laughs> league. He took eight for nine one day. <laughs> yes, it's often talked about in the same breath. Yeah. <laughs> Can I get through one second without what's he saying? He's regaling us with his cricketing tales. Mine, um, you know, I mean, Dave Warner, we spoke about it before, and I mean that's a big talking point at the moment in terms of should Tim Payne have declared. Um, I still think he should have. I mean, we don't put the individual of the team. What I was really nervous about was that he might overtake the great Brian Lara's score. So Mm. you might remember Matt Hayden got 380 against Zimbabwe. Was the world record at that time. Mm -hmm. Him and Lara were kind of fighting it out for who had the top score. So against Zimbabwe, Matt Hayden, 380, pretty impressive. Brian Lara the next week (laughs) is 400 (laughs) against England. So, I mean, like, this man is just fantastic. He was actually there when when Dave Warner was batting. And sometimes, you know, cricket, there's just so, so much poetry. Yes. And I thought, you know, this moment is all set up. And then Tim Bain, thank you, retiring. Thank goodness. The next one, this one's a great one, is the Hugh and Den is a place. This is the Hugh and Don. Great sporting <laughs> relationships. <laughs> well, I was thinking of the uh, the antics on centre court, Andre Agassi and Steffi Graf, but I'll pass on that one and go to Hanger and Langer and Hayden. What a great combination they had. They just decimated bowling attacks. They really changed the way teams think about test cricket and that first session. You know, they'd pile on 100, 150, whereas sometimes you'd think of Dower 50 or 60 in that first session. But Langer and Hayden, for me. It's funny, Watsy, I've gone exactly the same. And they were just, they were so opposite in their batting approach. Like, Justin Langer used to be more of the safe, take a while to get there, where Hayden was just that wham, bam, thank you, man. So I think they both even themselves out as well. Um, but obviously, Steffi Graf, Andre Agassi, another great partnership. Probably more work off the field because they kind of got together um, as their bodies were um, breaking down from the sport. <laughs> <laughs> well put. Quick, Nick, save us. Who's yours? You and Don. Well, I, I completely misinterpret the question. I thought that's a very narrow question. Great romantic relationships in sport. And uh, so I, the only one I could think of, and I, th- I remember it was uh, Samantha Rice and Eamon O'Sullivan, and it was all leading up to the two. Stephanie Rice. Stephanie Rice, sorry all leading up to the uh, 2008 Olympics. And I remember it was all in the paper. You know, they've always got to find stories. I didn't know who either of those two people were. And they kept asking me to invest in their relationships, going, yeah, I can't help you. And then when the racing actually started, and this absolute babe, let's oh, I've got to say it, kept winning medals. I went, she is amazing. And Stephanie and, Rice went her ride too. <laughs> and, then, and then I finally worked out that was Stephanie Rice. I went, oh, right, this is the girl they've all been talking about. I don't think Eamon O'Sullivan had reasonable Olympics as well. I don't know. But anyway, they broke up later. And a more than reasonable rig. I actually was invested in a relationship hoping they'd break up, and I thought I might have a chance. They did break up, and obviously not. No. Thank you. (laughs) Next one. Uh, So Charters Towers. Obviously, we go out to Charters Towers. This is the Charter Boat. The Charter Boat Towers, which is a sporting event in 2019 you wish you were at. Oh, the Ashes. The Ashes would have been great. It's always on the bucket list. I lived in the UK for two years, and um, we did lose a series over there in 04 Ashes, I think it was. Didn't go? Oh, 04, 05. No, it was 05. Yeah. No, didn't go. Did not go. Um, Could luckily. have been the difference. Could have been the difference, but it's still there. It's still dangling in front of me. Yeah, I can't be specific. Um, the only one, the games I really want to get to, it's sort of in a very general sense, are uh, English soccer games or European soccer games, mm. just because the madness and the enthusiasm and the music of the crowd. I think there's been something wonderful to experience. Went to a Bradford City game when I was about 11 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, survived. <laughs> Just. Um, I went the uh, the Rugby World Cup was recently on. I went the game between Japan and Scotland. I mean, oh, Japan were the, yeah, the yeah. Cinderella story of the, of the World Cup. I and mean, it was in, in Tokyo, mm-hmm. in Japan. And the amount of people that watched that game, not only live... But just the support, they got a really close game, 28-21 to Japan. And that game kind of sealed 
Japan to get through the next stage. I reckon that would have been amazing to watch. And the last one, we've got a town near us called Tambo, and they're famous for the teddies. Obviously, you hug a teddy. Who needs a hug? Well, I'm going to go for Raylene Castle, the uh, CEO <laughs> of uh, Rugby Australia, because <laughs> she has performed the classic female role in society. Men made an utter mess of Rugby Australia and they put some poor woman in there to clean it up. <laughs> and all the stuff, she's like, well, she opens a cupboard. Oh, my God, this one's horrible too. And your people are around and go, well, what are you doing about that, honey? And so there's an inordinate <laughs> amount of pressure on her. And I think she needs someone just to pat her on the back going, you're doing really well. I know there's a lot of stuff over here you've still got to deal with. I'm going to be honest. Good. When you when I said hug, I thought you might have said rug because I think you thought you need an upgraded hairstyle. <laughs> <laughs> Rude. <laughs> I'm, I'm heading to the Gold Coast. I gave them a pizzling last week, and I'm going down to hug the Titans. <laughs> the whole team. The whole team. A group hug. A group hug. Group hug. Just, just one at a time. This whole new area. Yeah, but they need, they need that, that, that pat on the back and just that reassurance that they've got a home here on the coast for this year. Mate, mine's, mine's a Bronco, and a guy who I think, in some ways fairly, but I think ultimately unfairly, just got absolutely tarnished with the Broncos season, Darius Boyd. Mm. I mean, he's the captain. I mean, he's a bit older, but everything the Broncos did seemed to be pegged on him. He is one player playing in a team. If and, only here. Oh, yeah. I just want to give him a hug, Darius. Come to Longreach. Hug it out, bro. Shortly we speak to one of Australia's top race callers in Josh Fleming. Yeah, and a great story. He was actually located at a, at a school. His mum was up there working and, and someone was in the school, doesn't know why, and heard the call. Just heard him calling horses out of a newspaper. And then he's gone to be one of one of Queensland's great race calls. And uh, from the stands, your baby, Nick, can <laughs> we uh, talk to... Anthony Patanza, known as Vince to his mates. We've known each other for a long, long time. We went to, he was in my brother's year at school. He was a great rugby uh, player at school. And uh, since then, he's more business, but he's also got the horse racing. He's a horse owner, mad punter. Still loves his rugby with a, uh, the big asterisks that so many rugby players do. And also a manly fan from his youth, which is cost you big in Brisbane. It's the summer edition heard across the Resident Network, and it's all thanks to the good folk at the Australian Mung Bean Association. Get amongst it. Money out and the baker into the straight San Vincenzo with a kick. 250 to go, a length in front. Deadly choices looming as a danger, and they get down to the 200 together, clear of French Hustler. It's Deadly Choices looming up to San Vincenzo. It's Deadly Choices, San Vincenzo with 50 to run, and Deadly Choices and Dan Bellard. Yes, that was uh, Deadly Choices winning the second. Uh, Country Cups challenge there last week in Brisbane. A great uh, victory for. Uh, champion uh, country jockey uh, Dan Ballard and Damien Fitter taking the $62,000 in first prize money. It's been a great year for country racing um, with the second Battle of the Bush, the second Country Cups Challenge, and also uh, Birdsville on uh, Sky TV and TAB. Longreach uh, getting its cup meeting on the Sky Channel. And joining us, the boy from Barky, the voice of racing in Queensland, Josh Fleming. Uh, good afternoon, mate. Yeah, good afternoon, Watsy. Uh, great to be with you, mate. Um, yeah, we've got a lot to talk about, don't we? It's been another wonderful year in country racing. Um, look, it's just going from strength to strength, country racing in Queensland. We spoke about the, the Battle of the Bush over the winter and, of course, the Country Cups Challenge over the summer as well. And um, it's just been able to showcase the best of country racing. And you um, spoke about Birdsville, Longreach as well. The Roma Cup was on Sky as well. So we're really 
you know, bringing country racing in a wonderful light to, to, to everyone out there. And it was great to see, obviously, the Battle of the Bush, Hanover Square for champion uh, Queensland country trainer uh, Billy Johnson. And then, as I said, uh, Damien Finter, who's got a fantastic strike rate up there in the northwest. And a uh, friend of the show who we uh, profiled a couple of weeks ago, Danny Ballard. And, you know, if it wasn't for weight, uh, you'd probably be seeing Danny more often uh, down there in the southeast corner. Oh, without a doubt, he was uh, the champion apprentice down of the Gold Coast back in around about the 2004 mark, I think. I was actually calling a Gold Coast meeting uh, recently, and um, they've got the, uh, uh, the the wall of honour there with his name on there and all, all the premiership winners there. Um, obviously, Dan Griffin's name's on there a lot as the leading rider there, but um, Dan Bellow's name was there as, as the leading apprentice going back a few seasons now. And just a, a wonderful um, racing family, as we know, the Ballard family, the great success that he and Father Keith and Mum Denise have had, and um, that was just a great result for him. And Damien Fendi spoke about his record. He does a wonderful job with the, with the team he's got there in Mount Isa, and he spoke about uh, deadly choices, and we heard the wonderful call of Tony Wode as well. It was interesting you speak about the Battle of the Bush. He was just beaten in the road there by Hanover Square back in June, but able to go one better when he got to the mile in the, in the country uh, Cups Challenge there at Doombin recently. So his record's incredible. Deadly choices has got a wonderful strike rate. Um, had a little concern about him going to the mile there the other day, but he made a liar of me. He was able to go forward and be near the speed, and uh, he ran the mile that strong. He was too good for them. Hey, Josh, it's Parko here, and I know you're talking um, things that haven't currently, but I want to go back to how you first got started. And I think it's um, your career is probably due to a, a great man by the name of John Wallace who first spotted you, um, or first heard you doing a bit of a phantom call from a newspaper. Yeah, look, he did. Uh, I wouldn't be where I am today without uh, John's help. I wouldn't have the life that I've got, um, you know, without him and, and the support that he showed me at a very, very young age. Uh, he heard a fandom call um, that I did. Funnily enough, I was in the classroom at the Barcaldon State Schools on the Sunday. So um, very, very rare that anyone would be at the school obviously on the Sunday. But Mum, being the hard worker that she is, she was up there planning for the coming week, and I was just there uh, making a bit of a fool of myself, uh, lying on the on the carpet there doing a fan and call and, and by chance John was up at the school why he was up there on a Sunday I still don't know to this day <laughs> I think I don't, I don't know why he was there but I mean, just happened to hear it and um, I don't know it was a sort of a case of I guess it, it was meant to be I think he happened to hear it and um, um, I must have sounded pretty good he thought I was he thought um, mum was listening to, to the to the radio listening to the races there that day but it happened to be about a 12, 13 year old kid pursuing a fan and call so <laughs> uh, look, from that point on, he was a wonderful help to me. He took me around to the uh, country tracks out there, around the Barcourt and Blackall, Longreach, and um, I was able to just do a couple of practice calls with him as well around those western tracks, and then opportunity came my way when John Dollinger was unwell towards the end of um, 1998. They were looking for a caller at the end of that year, and, uh, uh, yeah, he, he he put my name forward, and um, he showed great faith in me, as the Longreach Jockey Club did, and... Um, that's where it all kicked off on the 5th of December 1998. So incredible to think it was 21 years ago today. And, uh, yeah, time flies when you're having fun. And, Josh, we talk a lot to, you know, rugby league players, and they say they're spotted at an early age, whether it's, you know, they stand on a football field. Did he ever tell you what stood out to him? Like, was it about the expression? Was there a certain bit of feedback he gave as to why you stood out? He, he never sort of identified one actual thing. I suppose um, I think it's, it's an important thing from a, uh, for a race caller to be accurate. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. And he was obviously able to identify that among a few other things and just, just a bit of talent that was there for someone so young. And uh, you just need that talent nurtured, I suppose, um, from an early age. It's sort of one thing to be able to spit the names out and, and remember all the names. You've got to take it from that to be able to 
actually put it into a live call and and a call that would be good enough um, you know, to go to an audience, I suppose. So you've got to be uh, look at a level that so uh, that you can get up there and do it. And um, uh, lucky enough, I got that opportunity when I was very young. Obviously, you know, you improve a lot as you go along and you gain that experience. Um, but he identified something there, just that little bit of raw talent, I suppose. And someone so young, it was a matter of nurturing that talent as I went through, and 100%. and I was able to get those opportunities and was able to improve. Um, as, as I went along, but um, look for, for him and race clubs like Longreach and obviously Birdsville's one and Crenya as well. Uh, for them to show such faith in someone so young, I mean, it'd be so easy for them to say, "Look, now we're looking for someone a little bit older, uh, someone with more experience." You, you cop that. You would expect them to say that, but um, I'm just forever in their debt for them to to show that faith in me for someone so young at the at the age of 14. Actually, John heard me calling even earlier than that. He actually wanted me to call a meeting at Windora when I was only 12, but that opportunity <laughs> fell through, which looking back was probably a good thing, so I remember um, being very, very nervous to the point of being petrified actually when I was 12, and even leading into that first meeting when I was 14, I, I knew I wanted to do it, but it was a matter of sort of just getting pushed over the line to actually do it, and I can remember mum and my late stepfather, they basically just read the riot act, they said, look, if you don't do this, you you know, you, you're barred, basically. But, um, <laughs> but they said, well, this will, this will be an opportunity that you never get back. So um, th- th- they just sort of had to, you know, you know, kick me up the bum a bit, I suppose, and say, look, you know, you you know you want to do it. You know you're good at it even at that age. It's just a matter of sort of overcoming a little bit of fear when I was so young to, to grab that opportunity. And I'm, I'm very thankful that I did. And it's, it's sort of, you know, come from something that I was only mucking around doing as a kid as far as fan calls were concerned. And it's gone from that to becoming my whole life. Righto, Josh, we'll get you to hang around here on the summer edition. Thanks to the Australian Mung Bean Association across the Resonate Network. Back with the summer edition, thanks to the Australian Mung Bean Association, and it's heard right across regional Queensland on the Resonate Network. 4VL, 4ZR, 4HI, 4LM, 4GC, 4LG, Hot Country, and of course, 4SB. Now, we're back talking to Josh Fleming, the number one race caller in Queensland. And Josh, uh, you did a lot of tracking around uh, country tracks. You've said uh, you went to Corinna and uh, you've done a few years at Birdsville. And then Josh, obviously the big step was the uh, second recipient of the John Tapp Scholarship. Um, how big a step was that to move down to, to the city? Yeah, it was a big one, Watsy. I was lucky that I had some time in Brisbane before I went to the Sydney. I didn't sort of go directly from um, from Alden to Sydney. That obviously would have been a big of a step, but I was able to have a bit of time between, I finished school in 2001, and I shifted to Sydney in uh, 2003, so I sort of had 18 months, two years in Brisbane uh, to sort of get used to a bit of city life, I suppose you could say, uh, and, and I was practice calling a lot, and I had wonderful help from, from Alan Thomas, who become a wonderful friend and mentor, and uh, I did that uh, sort of time under him, I was able to work a bit at Radio TAB as well as casual and get experience um, doing some tight calls on air and also did some work behind the scenes as well. So uh, I had a good grounding there, and they first did the scholarship in 2000, and that was um, the year that Matty Hill um, got that, and we obviously know what he's gone on uh, to do from, from that point on. He called it in Sydney, he's called Olympic Games, Grand Nationals, and Ain Trend now. He's the voice for the Melbourne Cup, so he's been highly, highly successful in his chosen career, and he was the first one to get... Uh, that John Sapp scholarship. He was 18 when he kicked off. I was only 15 at the time. I was probably a bit young to be drafted <laughs> from high school uh, to go down there. But um, look, they identified me from that point on, and I guess I was under Alan Thomas's wing, and then the opportunity came to, to move down there in 2003, and I've been with the company ever since. So, Josh, uh, having uh, you know, 
done you've been at Birdsville twenty years, you've called some pretty big races. What are the what are your ambitions in your career at this stage, if you're prepared to say them out loud? Yeah, look, at the moment, um, I suppose, in, in my current role, we've got the Magic Millions around the corner on the Gold Coast in January, so looking forward to, to going there. And um, we've obviously got the Carnival, our peak times around May and June. Uh, but I suppose just to continue working and um, and, and just sort of, uh, I, I guess, bettering yourself and making sure you're there and performing to the best of your ability. Um, yeah, we're, we're pretty much sort of cemented in our role here in South East Queensland at the moment. I don't have a desire to go sort of anywhere else um, full-time. Uh, look, I'd love to go overseas and maybe have a bit of experience, you know, uh, Look, whether it's Hong Kong or Dubai or something like that. But I, I don't have any desire to, to live elsewhere and, and make a career out of it elsewhere. I'm, I'm very happy where we are and we're, we're settled here with um, with my wife and our daughter was born about 16 months ago. So, look, we're, we're happy and content life at the moment where we are and there's no sort of plans to go, to go anywhere else. But look, on a professional front, yeah, just to continue sort of, you know, Calling, calling well, and working and working hard, and just keeping that consistency going, and and uh, you know turning up and sort of being the best that we can be. Hey, Josh, we are we produce a bit of a podcast of our radio show, and it gets about twenty listens. To be fair, that's the three of us listening to it ourselves. I wanted to know: Do you <laughs> often listen to your own calls and kind of you know look it over what you could do maybe next time? We'll give yourself a bit of feedback. Yeah, I do occasionally. I don't do it as much as I used to um, because I found myself sort of picking things apart that I didn't really need to worry about. I was probably sort of worrying myself over things I didn't need to. It's good to, to sort of do it and um, and because sometimes you can pick up things that you don't realise that you've done and then you can sort of, you know, go, go a period of time without listening to, to replays then you'll listen back to something and sort of detect something that you're doing that you, that you need to be working on. Um, one thing Alan Thomas always said to me: "It's not an exact science. You know, you, look, it'll, you'll, you'll never be perfect at it. There'll always be something that you do wrong. Uh, obviously, we try and get as much right as we possibly can. But um, yeah, look, from time to time, if I think I've done something wrong in a call um, live, I'll listen back to it, and if there's something there, then I know I've, I've, I have identified that, and I'll make sure that I don't do it again. Or there might be something that you think you've done wrong, and you've done nothing wrong at all, and just sort of keep going." along that, um, the way that you're going. So, uh, well, we've never got it mastered. We probably never will. Um, we'll go a period of time where you don't make a blue, but then something will bob up that you, you wouldn't expect that you get something wrong, and then we can work on that and make sure that we that we don't do it again going into the future. Josh, before I let you go, obviously you did me- mention uh, the Summer Carnival and uh, the Magic Millions. I think you're calling your fifth Magic Millions yeah. uh, this year. Uh, any horses stand out for our listeners to look, uh, look out for over the coming weeks? Well, we've seen some uh, pretty handy two-year-olds here in southeast Queensland already. Lady Banff and Dusty Tycoon are two names that uh, uh, that come to mind straight away. Uh, they've both been very impressive, um, Lady Banff. Uh, and they're both sort of similar horses. They go forward and it's not an easy race to get on the speed and lead all the way on the Gold Coast over 1,200 metres. I know uh, the, the filly Gary Portelli's have got a good rap on her. Every rose, she looks very smart. Well, I think they're the two that are probably standing out... Um, uh, here in here in Queensland at the moment, Rock Fire is obviously very smart for Robert Heathcote, but he's not a Magic Millions horse. For whatever he he goes to, he's going to be hard to beat. He's been uh, ultra impressive. He, he's probably our best two year old that I've seen anyway. He's he's yeah. gone like a rocket, Rock Fire, uh, but he, he's not Magic Millions eligible, so we're not going to see him on the Gold Coast. We'll be seeing we'll be seeing him in good grade, obviously, as he goes through his career. But uh, look, the other two, they're Magic Millions bound, and they both look very good. Obviously, every rose was pretty smart from from down south as well, but. Um, yeah, look, it's only about five weeks away now. We're going to see more two-year-old uh, races here in Brisbane in the lead-up uh, to that. And, of course, we're going to see them sort of come through 
the Southern races as well, including that Magic Millions meeting at Wyong. And um, look, we'll have the last few pieces of that puzzle put in even the week before Magic Millions. Now, they've really bolstered that day the week before on the 4th of January. And um, quite a few recent Magic Millions winners have come through that meeting the week before. So we've got a fair bit to work out between now and then. But uh, that is a couple of names that have been really impressive early on. Josh Fleming, thank you very much for your time this afternoon and contribution to the summer edition heard across the Resonate Network. Great to be with you, boys. Thank you. No, Boom Sara, Michelle Gustav down the outside as Outback Barbie. Chapter and verse and crack me up. Look at this for a finish. That stretched across the track here. Chapter and verse out wide. Chapter and verse. It's a summer edition heard across the Resonate Network. Josh Fleming's call there of chapter and verse winning last weekend in Brisbane, the TAB George Moore Stakes, Nick. Yes, and uh, as you know, our segment from the stands, we like to talk to sports enthusiasts. And in this case, we have a, actually a part owner of Chapter and Verse. He's also a keen league fan and rugby and other sports as well. Uh, small businessman. Uh, Anthony Batanza. G'day, Anthony. How are you going? Hey, good. Thanks, mate. And from here on in, you'll be known as Vince. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Chapter and verse last week, uh, Desley Foster, obviously uh, growing up here in Western Queensland, her uh, father, Boy Foster, a great trainer out here. Chapter and verse, a great thrill to win a Group 3. Um, finished with a great burst, wasn't it? It looked to the naked eye like it got the nose down, but when that super slow-mo, I'm just watching it now, it was uh, <laughs> a lot closer than it thought without back Barbie on the inside. It was actually nose up. Yeah, um, yeah, it's an illusion. So um, yeah, we, I, I went up and, and so did Desley uh, as soon as they crossed the line, and then we sort of looked at each other and went, "Oh, geez, I think we stuffed up." <laughs> but, uh, luckily, they put the number in the frame, and that's it. it so, yeah, it would have been very unlucky because it, it it settled a fair way back as it likes to do, and it's got that one powerful burst. Uh, where are you heading to next with it? Uh, into the Lockney um, next Saturday. So, uh, and then I think Desley wants to have a month break and then into the Magic Millions, either the cutest or the cup race. Yeah, I think um, Matt Desley just got beaten, was it, with Easy Running a couple of years ago in the three-year-old uh, guinea's. Yeah. Um, still, they still yeah. show footage of Desley throwing a hat <laughs> on Sky Channel. <laughs> we had a, me and uh, one of the part owners, Gav, Gavin Forbes had a, had a massive all up going in that too, and uh, <laughs> they were crying and <laughs> in a manly way though. <laughs> oh, and Anthony, we're going to touch on that soon. It's Parker here, mate. Yeah. Now I got talked into buying a share in a racehorse. I think I own half its foot. Um, and mate, since I bought the share, I've been planning a celebration, which is yet to happen. Now, mate, how do you celebrate a big win like the one you just had? You, um, you know, we drink from the we drank when we won the millions. We were uh, drinking champagne out of the large uh, cup we had, um, drink copious amounts of grog, and then get uh, refused entry into the casino. Just, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm making notes as you say these things. All part of the plan. Well, hopefully, when hopefully we get to win a maiden in Townsville or somewhere, and <laughs> not Cooktown, where yeah, they have a casino. Yeah, I don't know if they've got a casino in Blackhall. <laughs> But, mate, oh, it's a great story. And Desley, uh, Desley has a fantastic strike rate with a smallish team. Yeah, and with um, inexpensive horses too, like uh, Chapter and Verse is uh, 28000 I think, and he's won 945000 So yeah. It's one you didn't get um, roped into the long-reach tip with uh, some of Desley's owners uh, in September. <laughs> well, I was supposed to come out there, but we, we, weren't, we were overseas. But, uh, yeah, I was a bit, bit upset about that. But... Uh, yeah, and they had uh, 
two winners at uh, Barcaldon too, I think. Yeah, that's correct. They did. Um, yep. Oh, Zucas, which looks to be a pretty impressive. And Harvey Starr, um, unplacement's first three runs, got the chocolates there, Nick. Yeah, now we could move on to other... I could leave you here and you and Motsi talk about horses for the next hour or so, but... Uh, It'd have to be a ten-part segment. <laughs> <laughs> we've just uh, we've just deleted Stairway to Heaven. We've reached the two-minute mark. <laughs> I was crapping myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, just want to talk about, um, you're a rugby player at school and it's still a fan. I was saying to just park up before we came on, I think he's one of those people who loves his rugby, but he's angry at the state of rugby as so many oh, yeah. fans are at the I've moment. Been, I've been angry for about 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> I actually gave up on the Reds. I've fo- been following the Highlanders. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but since... Since Brad Thorne's come back, you know, I see him as the new messiah, so maybe he'll <laughs> turn something around. Well, he's working on their culture, isn't he? I mean, they've just done a uh, regional trip throughout uh, Queensland. We've had them here in Longreach, and it's probably what they need just to start fresh. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think he's uh, the culture's the whole thing. It's hard with those with the young fellas, you know. The minute you drop them, they're off. They, they, they don't uh, see it as a, an opportunity to improve themselves. They see it... They just want to go, you know. So they don't they don't handle rejection too well. And what do you think about the Australian rugby union? I mean, I you know, growing up, I mean you'd expect the Wallabies to win and now you're surprised when they do. What do you think the answer is to fixing their problems? Is there is there anything we can do? <laughs> I, I I don't watch very much of it anymore. <laughs> well you're part of the majority then. <laughs> But what what can we do? I mean, I mean the pride back in the jersey is it the is it the coach? I know we've got a Kiwi coach now. What needs I mean, to happen? I think, I think we've got to start. I mean, at GPS, like we got all these kids now on scholarship, but most of them go to rugby league. Yeah, and you look at our Australian schoolboys, most of them disappear into rugby league because they've got more money straight out of straight out of school. So I think that's that's where it's got to start. And when it, I was playing, there was Tim Horan and Jason Little and. Garrett Morgan, David Wilson, they were all playing at GPS, and, you know, and they went you know, straight into Queensland side. And you're exactly right, because I know, talking to the, the Reds blokes that came out here, um, they were saying that league clubs actually sign kids up at about 12, 13, uh, what's he, and then they, yeah. so they've got them from such a young age, where that doesn't happen with Union, but I think that's starting to change. So let's just talk about, I know the Reds' big news is they've just signed Vunavalu from the Storm, so a rugby player, then gone to league, then gone back to rugby. Now, rugby made the big experiment of, of just getting as many league players as they could, um, which was, I don't know, dare say, not as successful as Mixed. they would have liked. Mm. Who was your favourite they brought over? <laughs> Surely it's got to be Wendell, and why? Oh, it has to be Matt the Rat, doesn't it? <laughs> Matt Rogers? <laughs> Matt, Matt Rogers didn't play too many games. He spent most of the time uh, injured, yeah. so <laughs> it, it didn't see much of him. But uh, no, not Wendell. Um, <laughs> maybe um, uh, who was the other fellow? Lottie Takiri. Yeah, Lottie Takiri. At least Lottie, Lottie um, played most of the games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was good. You're... Um in some fine company here, you're a manly supporter, the great Bobby Cooper from out here in the West. He grew up in Brisbane as a manly supporter, not winner manly either, the manly seagulls. <laughs> seagulls, uh, how'd you find that in Brisbane? How was that taken? You got to you, initially when you say who you who you like, you've got to say it very softly and low, low voice. <laughs> it's like the bulldogs now. Yeah, and wait for their reaction. You know, if you meet a, a, a fellow supporter, they'll go, "Oh, yeah, I go for him too." And then all of a sudden, you know, you've got this bond because you know that the strife and the struggles you've gone through living in Brisbane. 
They, I think they compare it to being a Freemason. <laughs> There's a secret handshake. But you've got, you got to be honest with you. This year, the way that Manly played, I mean, at the start of the year, there was absolutely zero expectation on Manly. And the way yeah. they played, I think they actually turned people back on to Manly. I don't think they're a side yeah. that people hate as much anymore. No, no, they don't. And we, when we don't have any money, so we're buying cheap guys, and we're buying guys, it's, it's us against the rest of them. And, um, you know, they've got something to prove, so... So, um, you know, we're just a bunch of battlers now. We're not silver tails. And who's your favourite? Is it Cherry Evans? Is he your lead? Is he your nah. favourite? Nah. nah. <laughs> I like um, I like Jake Jaboyevic. Yes. And they've just signed a younger brother, uh, Ben. Oh, they did. So there's going to be three. Three T's. <laughs> three turbos. Yeah. Great genes. Yeah, they've so. just replaced the Burgess brothers as the most successful in the NRL, I think. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Well, Vince, it's been great chatting to you. Thanks very much for coming on from the stands on the summer edition. Brought to you Thanks. by the Australian Mung Bean Association. <laughs> Get munging today. Cheers. Stairway to heaven. And that's about it for the summer edition this week. Thanks to the Australian Mung Bean Association. Thanks to the Firebirds, Kim Jenner, Luke McDonald talking cricket on the Gold Coast. The great Pat Webster and uh, his chat about his new book, Don't Die Wondering, available in bookstores now. Great stocking filler. Cowboy Lane Howitt, as well as Josh Fleming and from the stands, Anthony Vitenzo. <laughs> Scott, big news came out yesterday afternoon from the NRL, the much-awaited uh, rule changes have been announced. They're just a bit wishy-washy, and I think they're probably going to make it, for some people, um, you, you know, your average punter may be a little bit more confusing. Yeah, I think we've waited so long for the NRL to change rules. I think many thought the interchange would go down. That hasn't changed. Um, a lot of things that, that I thought would happen didn't. But they've got a 20-40, so obviously we know the 40-20 kicking it, you know, within your 40 and going out 20, you get the ball back. So 20-40, which to me is a little bit interesting because it kind of defensively, you've kind of be on guard for that. I could see a lot of teams, you know, if you are pegged down inside your 20 for going for that kick early. So I think that's actually a, a pretty cool, cool rule. It is. Tactically, I think it could, it makes you think a lot. You're 100% right and it's great, but is there too, do you think there's a few too many rules creeping in? I don't, I, don't, like I don't think that's a bad one. I think that's a okay. really... Because you've already got the 40-20, yep. so it's not too hard to go 20-40. Nothing uh, mentioned about the over, uh, the extra time, golden point? No. Well, mm. not not at this stage. That um, was supposedly I, on that was this meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I did just want to quick... Oh, sorry. That, well, we did have the big rule change. If it goes to golden point, both sides get a point. Yeah, sorry, the losing yeah. side gets a point as opposed to zero. But just on your 40-20, I would predict in the first five rounds, you'll see a ton of them. 2040s. Yeah, yeah. Um, the second one is a scrum. So if the if a team's awarded a scrum, they get to choose their position 10 metres in, middle of the field. So that, to me, who cares? I think it slows mm. the game down, if anything. Mm, mm. Um, and the last one is this with the interface. The, the, the presence of trainers in the NRL is becoming quite ridiculous. I mean, it Alfie is. Langer, just give him the number seven. Take the pink jersey off. <laughs> just give him but the I ball. I did hear a very interesting point made, that if it wasn't Alfie Langer, would you notice him as much? It's a, it's a really good question. Depends. A lot of them are former players. Yes. And they are, they get referred to. So it is a really good point. Um, I think we look out for Alfie Langer, but I mean, the trainers seem to be always... Let's on get Alfie on the show. Yeah. Oh, hunt Alfie. Get him in. <laughs> Put him with Wade. Yeah. Where's Alfie? Yeah. Um, but <laughs> the, big one, the big one for me is like, if, it, if the ball hits a trainer, they go to a video replay. Well, it's just going to slow That's it right, down Another slow. Yeah. And then they say, it, de- it depends who gets the ball, who is more disadvantaged. Yeah, that no, I mean, it just like comes into... That's interpre- a fun fight to have. Yeah, it's just an interpretation. Yeah. The NRL's not great at interpretation no. already. So let's just... I don't think that's that's going to be putting on their face. But it gets an interesting point, boys. If you could change one rule, mm. what would In you change? In the NRL? In the NRL, yeah. Oh, look, we discussed this yesterday over a ginger 
beer at the Long Reach RSL. <laughs> great place to get a feed too. Yeah, I believe the referee should feed the scrum. It's a great idea. That is a great idea. Because the I scrum's like defunct, isn't it? It's useless. Yeah. It's a group hug. Mm. It's a great idea. And we've already been to the Gold Coast, haven't we? (laughs) Oh, they should get that spider cam to drop it from the top. (laughs) In the old days, you place it on the spot in the scrum. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the sad thing is rugby league has more or less eliminated competition for the ball, except in very, very limited circumstances. And at least with that, the scrums would have to start getting low, pushing again, being proper Mm. scrums. Yeah, so that's yours, proper scrums? No, no, no that's, uh, that's uh, going on from Watsies. Mine is, I would say, no trainers on the field unless there's an injury. Now, you know they're running on with water to give them instructions. We all know that's an open secret. And I was a fat kid. I could go for 20 minutes without water every two minutes. If I could do it, a fully fit athlete, professional athlete, should be able to go 40 minutes without a drink of water. It's well, all just getting trainers on the field giving instructions. And I also think on that, if someone's down, I don't think play needs to stop. No, unless it's going to interfere. If it's, unless yeah. it's going to interfere with the play, mm. play should still go yeah, on. Yeah, I think yeah. that happens too often. Mm-hmm. My one, I think we're in the in the age of you know voting. We vote for Australian Idol. We vote for X Factor. All those sort of things. I reckon if it goes, for example, I if, we have a, if we go to the bunker, <laughs> I think it's a fan vote. <laughs> try, no try, and the fans get to vote. And you know what? If they get it wrong. Well, who do they have to blame but themselves? Not themselves. All yeah. right. I like it. It's very interesting. It's very American. <laughs> do you very, like it? I love it. I love it too. Because it just takes it out of the referee's hands. The referee goes, you know what? You stuff that up, fans. Stick it up your shirt. Yes. <laughs> South's fans have been on the edge for the past couple oh, of weeks aggressive. knowing about, not wanting to know about yes. the Sam Burgess. He has been, uh, his money's been exempt now yes. from the cap, which is huge. That's a huge amount of money. That's going to really blow things wide open. Well, I'm going to tell you, David Fafita still hasn't signed the Broncos. Obviously worked with Bennett last year. I reckon he'll be in a red and green jumper pretty soon. And I understand you're available. I am available. Just not just playing around, just for chats. <laughs> Hugs. Couple a couple of weeks left on the summer edition, boys. Always good to catch up to uh, chew the fat on uh, the world of sport and catch up with some great guests. We'll catch you again next week. Scott Parkinson, thank you very much. Oh, always a pleasure. Nick Backstrom. Parker, what's he? It's been the summer edition heard right across the Resonate Network, all thanks to the Australian Mungbean Association.